you are. You are Resurrection Life Church. That name didn't just come about because we kind of looked through something to determine it. Uh, the leadership of the church prayed and, and sought God, and, and this was the name that God had for the people that would come together and, and be available to Him. Resurrection Life. And for some of you, you may not know what the life stands for. Down the road a little ways, we, we became very aware that that represented love in full expression. So we are resurrection, love in full expression church. That's what God has for us. That's, that's who you are. That's who God says we are. <clears throat> and we, we know that when names were given in the Bible, they were given to point towards what their destiny was. And that's the destiny God has for us. And it doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else, but it is an identity that God has given us. We need to be aware of that wherever we go. Uh, we aren't just going out and representing ourselves. We are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And people will look at us and say, well, that's what a Christian, that's what a Christian is like. And uh, we, we need to be aware that there's, at least in my life, there's adjustments that need to be made all the time so that, that I more accurately and consistently represent my Lord because people are watching, people are searching, people are looking for uh, many, many things because, as we've heard already today, the, the world we live in is, uh, is challenged, is struggling. The world we live in is, is looking for answers, looking for something that will bring them stability. And all the things that we can see outside of God are going to fail. And you may say, well, I, I don't want to hear that. Listen, you don't have to be afraid. We put our, our faith in God. God will always come through. But if we put our faith, if we go after other things, we're putting our faith and we're pursuing and making a priority something that is destined to fail. And that's where it's important in these days. We, we know what the Word of God says, that this world is growing darker and darker, more desperate, more difficult. But God's Word says for His people, for you, for, for all the people across the, the world that are putting their trust in God, the Bible says that in this darkness that's ever increasing in the world that we live in, that we're to arise and shine. For the glory is risen, the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. You know, we talked about fear, and, and I've heard over, over time uh, the word fear, the letters stand for false evidence appearing real. And, and that is, is true many times. Many times there are things that we fear that never come to pass. And what happens is we expend a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, a lot of focus on something that never comes to pass, and we're robbed of the very things that we could be focused on and gaining. But I just recently heard that uh, the word fear, the letters stand for facing everything and rising. God has for you to rise in the face of everything. The Bible says that Christ has made you overwhelmingly more than a conqueror in all things through him. 
So that means whatever you face, know that Jesus has already faced it and has the victory, and he is there to lead you in victory. Not avoid it, but overcome it. God has for you to be an overcomer. God has for me to be an overcomer because there are so many people that are being overcome and overwhelmed that they become hopeless in the world that they are living in because everything seems to be falling apart. But I want you to know you're part of a kingdom that is eternal, eternally victorious. And Christ is coming back. He's coming back to remove the church, to catch away the church so that the things that are going on will play out. Then Christ will return, have a thousand-year reign, and then things will be wrapped up for eternity. But what he's coming back for, the church, it's not this building. It's you and me. But what's the condition of the church that Jesus is coming back for? Without spot or wrinkle, a glorious, victorious church. And that's where right now God is, is working in the church. God is working in our individual lives, our corporate life, to cause us to rise up and overcome whatever is facing us because we don't face it alone. There is one with us, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father is watching over us and available to us to cause us to show forth the victory of Jesus in everything. Amen? Amen. Praise God. God is so good. Well, today we're going to continue on talking about the uh, uh, vision that Ezekiel had. Back in the last year, I was praying, and God began to speak to me and show me, and I began to study this portion of Scripture in Ezekiel. Uh, in chapter 37, we're not going to go there yet. But it was a, a prophetic vision about the nation of Israel. And it was about how Israel had lost all hope. They were taken into captivity, into bondage in Babylon. It was so bad, if you want to read about how they felt about it, sometime go to Psalm 137. It says they sat down by the rivers of Babylon and wept. They were just broken. They were hopeless. They had nothing good that they could see. And yet, God was with them. You know, sometimes we get there. We, we get to the place where what's going on becomes so large in our lives, we can't focus on God. And it robs us of the hope. It robs of the, us of the peace and of the joy that God has for us. And, and Israel was that way. And God began to speak to Ezekiel and say, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what only I can do. And uh, God took Ezekiel out to this valley, valley of death, of dry bones. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but I've been in Death Valley. When I was a kid, my parents took us on a trip out west, and we drove through Death Valley. Death Valley holds the record for the hottest recorded temperature on the earth. 134 degrees. It regularly in the summertime hits 120. And, and you can understand why it's called Death Valley because there's nothing that really can, can thrive there. Now, there are a few things that, that survive, 
but it's not an environment where things thrive. And as we were driving towards Death Valley, uh, my dad, back in the 60s, our car didn't have any air conditioning. And the gas mileage wasn't great. And so as we were approaching Death Valley, we'd see these signs because that was the big thing out there. They'd have these, these billboards that you would see. And it would say, the last gas in 100 miles. Well, my dad was like, well, we better stop and get some gas. And so we were, we were planning on stopping at this last stop gas station. And as we got closer and closer, we noticed the cars coming towards us out of Death Valley all had this very bizarre thing on the front of their car. Hanging on the, the, radio, or on the uh, grill of the car, there was a bag about this wide and this tall. And, and it was like every car that came past us had these bags. And we thought, what is that? We pulled into the gas station, filled up with gas, and we noticed they were selling these bags. Now, this was a great marketing scheme because the guy in there had all these signs saying, you need to make sure you have water before you cross Death Valley. And what these were, these were sweat bags. And you would fill them with water, and the water would slowly permeate through the membrane and get the outside of the bag wet. And because of the evaporation, it would chill the water. And my dad was like, we got to get one of these. So we got our sweat bag and we took off. And we were sweating in the car. The windows are open. And it was just, it was brutal. But if you've never seen it, I want you to see a couple of pictures here today. Uh, this is when you approach. These weren't pictures that we took because these are in colors. All, all ours were black and white. But you would put that first one up. You see that off in the distance? That's Death Valley. And it is remote. There, is, there was nothing there at that time. And as you begin to drive through, the next picture will show you what the ground looks like. It is just parched. There's no water at all. And uh, this is obviously staged, but we did see bones. Bones in this valley. Obviously, it wasn't a place that things were able to live very long if they didn't have water. And even at night, when you look at it at night, this next picture, it may be beautiful, but it is deadly. And, and what Ezekiel was looking at was very much like this, except you notice that there's nothing there. When we go to this portion of Scripture, we're going to see the environment that he was shown by, by the Spirit of God. And what God was going to do. Because sometimes we're looking at our situations and we're overwhelmed. Because they're not what we expected. They're not what we wanted. And it's hard to even imagine them turning out for good. But what, what does the Bible say that God will do for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? He'll work all things out for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's why it's so important. Church, it's so important for us to stay on track with God. To fulfill his purposes and his plans. Because those are the ones that are life-giving. Before we go to the word, let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you for those that are here in person and those that are online. Lord, wherever we are, you're there. And so we thank you that we're never alone. But Father, today we acknowledge that we're in need. 
We need you. We need you to guide us. We need you to guard us. We need you to govern us because your ways are the ways of life. And so today, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your spirit that lives within each one of your children. I thank you for your word that won't return void. I thank you that as your word goes forth, you said you could, would confirm your word with signs and wonders following, that your word is life and health to those who find it. Father, I thank you for healings that will occur here and those that are watching and listening online. Your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for the illumination that Holy Spirit brings revelation to that as we apply this and adjust our lives to your word, we'll experience transformation going from glory to glory. And Lord, we thank you for your word that's truth. Truth that sets us free and keeps us free. Father, we thank you for the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God that cuts through the things that have ensnared us and entangled us, that we can walk in the light as you are the light. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing today in our lives so that you can do what you have planned to do through our lives. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So in Ezekiel chapter 37, we're, we're going to start again at verse 1 and just review a little bit. Uh, Ezekiel, this was done when, when uh, he, was, he, was, he had a number of visions, all of them prophetic, which pertained to Israel. But it also pertains, it can be applicable to us because we've experienced so many things that have caused death in these times. We, we've seen the pandemic. We've seen businesses die. We've seen dreams die. We've seen a lot of things die. And then division. You know, this, this is going to reveal to us how, how death was there. There was also division. And so it says, the Lord took hold of me and carried me away by the Spirit of the Lord into a valley filled with bones. Now just think, I don't, we don't know how big this valley was. We don't know if that picture I showed you of Death Valley, if it was big as Death Valley or it was smaller. But whatever it was, this valley was filled with death. And it says, and he led me around among the bones that covered the valley floor. So they were everywhere. Everywhere that you would step, you would hit a bone. And as you looked at those bones, it says they were scattered everywhere across the ground and they were completely dried out. So these bones showed no life, no possibility of life. They were everywhere and they were scattered. Do you notice it didn't say skeletons? These bones were all mixed up. All divided. And, and when you look at that, if, if we didn't know this, if you had seen a picture of this and somebody asked you, can these bones live? What would be your answer? No. Absolutely not. There's no way. And so when God asked Ezekiel, he said, son of man, can these bones bones become living people again. And Ezekiel, amazingly enough, gives an answer that we should give every time. O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. 
You know, whatever, whatever answer you need, whatever you're facing, I want you to know there's one. Not two, not three. One that knows the answer to everything you face. And that's God. And why is it that God alone knows the answer? Because number one, God is all-knowing. Number two, God is everywhere. Number three, there's nothing hidden before God. How many of you know that there are things hidden to us? We, we get surprised by all sorts of things. There's never a time, never has been, never will be a time that God is surprised by anything. And so he has the answer for everything. And not only does he have the answer, it'd be one thing to say, this is the answer, but I don't have the resources. God has the answer and the power to do whatever is needed. And so when, when Ezekiel said that, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to this. This is true. This is why we can't just go through life trying to figure out what we need to do because in your figuring out and my figuring out, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to go down a lot of wrong roads. We're going to waste a lot of resource and time when God said he would guide us along the best path for your life. So he's turning it back to God. Then in verse 4, it goes on to say this. God again said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, when we see this, we hear that God's saying prophesy. And we talked about prophesying last week that the word of God tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, we should all desire to prophesy. That, that, that God desires for us to prophesy. In the book of Joel, it says when the Spirit of God is poured out, in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God is poured out on everyone, God's sons and daughters will prophesy. Does that mean we have to tell people their future or, or something that's going on that hasn't been seen yet? No, the word prophesy means to speak directed or inspired by God. And you may say, well, I, I've never been directed by God and I don't know about God ever inspiring me. Well, my question to you is, do you read your Bible? Because I want you to know that is where God inspires you. That's where God will direct you. God will always lead you back to his word because his word is his will. Some people, I, I want to know the will of God for my life. Read your Bible. Until we read what God has already given us, he's not going to give us anymore. And so when we, when we prophesy, we speak directed by God, inspired by God. And what that does is that will always encourage. It should always encourage people because we're speaking words that are life. Words that are life. And who here doesn't need to be encouraged? Good. Didn't see any hands going up. Because we all do. And the Bible tells us in the times that we're living in, we should be encouraging each other daily. Daily. What would happen... How, how would your life change if this week, every day, you got something encouraging from the Word of God? Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? It's happening. I know, I set you up. How's the 21 days of prayer and fasting going? 
every morning we have something presented to us that is encouraging. It reveals to us what God has designed and desired to do in our lives and through our lives. And, and I'm telling you, I can't wait in the mornings. I can't wait for that to drop so that I can look at it and I can take time and, and consider that throughout the day. It, it has blessed me immensely, so I'm so grateful that this is happening. And if you're not doing that, well, all I can tell you is it's something that's been made available that if we don't use it, we are not going to be as thoroughly prepared for what's ahead of us because God always makes provision before we need it. It's kind of like the word for you today. You know, we, we try to make a lot of resources available, but we can't do it for anybody. And I, I understand completely that sometimes we get behind and we got to catch up or maybe read ahead because we know it's going to be busy, but make time for God. God is always willing to make time for us. We're the ones that control how close we are to God. Because it's how much we give ourselves to God. So prophesy to these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear. Now, does anybody read that and say, What? How many of you know bones hear? How many of you know bones don't hear? How many of you are too afraid to answer the question? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to answer wrong. But he says, hear, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, remember what this represents. In verse 11, last week, we found out that these bones represented the nation of Israel. And so, as much as he's looking at the bones... God is saying these bones represent people. Speak my word to these people. Now, he didn't say, you know, Ezekiel, whatever you think you ought to say, just say it. Because sometimes we say things that we don't need to say. And sometimes we don't say things that we need to say. But if we're willing to be led by the Spirit of God, directed by God, and speak inspired of God, speak his word when he directs us to, then life is going to abound. Because that's what he said. Speak to these dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Now we found out last week that that word, the word of the Lord, is life-giving. It's life-giving. His words are life and health to all who find them. It goes on to say, thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will Cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Breath. That word breath is a very specific word. It's a word in Hebrew that means wind. It means breath. But it also means spirit. And it is what Holy Spirit is referred to. So he's saying, I will surely cause breath or spirit to enter into you. And you shall live. Then he goes on to say, I will put sinews in you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and breathe into you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, when, when we see this, we see who's going to do this? God. Who's speaking this? God spoke 
to Ezekiel, say these words. So he's speaking God's words, God's doing what he said he'd do. The Bible tells us God will watch over his word to perform it. You know, God isn't, God listens to all of us. He hears everything and everyone all the time, but we either give him the opportunity to act on our behalf when we speak his word because he watches over his word to perform it. But as much as our tears touch him, he's not moved by our tears. He is moved by faith. And that's where we need to have the word of God because his word, not our words, his word will not return void. And so when it says that, that he's going to put breath in them, that, that is so incredibly important because we see that he'll put breath in them. He's going to put the bones together. He's going to connect them with sinews or tendons. He's going to put flesh or muscle on them and then cover with skin. And then it says, put breath in you and you'll live. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see a very similar process going on because our God is a process God. He can do things suddenly, but he also always does things in order. And in Genesis chapter 7, when we're seeing about creation and the creation of man, it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth. So he formed him. He made a man, the first man, just like human beings now. We are made in a certain way. And if you find out what your composition is, as far as your body makeup, it's of things that are all around us. And it says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? Life. And man became a living being. Man became a living being. He had made this physical likeness of man. It was man. But it wasn't alive yet. Because only God gives life. Jesus came to give what? Life and life more abundant. When we look at this, there are a lot of people that are what we would call alive, but they're dead spiritually. They are apart from God. They're separated from God. That's what sin has done for us. And yet God wants to make us alive like Adam was and Eve was before sin. But since sin has come into to the world, we're all infected from the sin of Adam. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so we have to have life breathed into us. When we come to Christ, when we receive Jesus as our Lord, all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. Life is given to us for the first time spiritually. We have physical life, but that's going to end. And God wants us to have eternal life with him. And so he gave life by breathing into him. This is not unlike what happened with Jesus after the resurrection with his disciples when, when he breathed on them. In John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, we see after Jesus was raised from the dead, he comes into a, a locked room where the disciples are gathered because they're afraid of what the Jews might do. And he says to them, peace to you. 
As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. I hope he had a mint. But he breathed on them. God breathed on the man that he made. And that man came to life. He became a living soul. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But do you remember what he said later? They, they received life. They received the Holy Spirit. God was preparing them for what they were about to do. But he, Jesus commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until what? Anybody remember? Until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Right? And so they had received, they had received Holy Spirit. But they, Jesus said, you've got to receive the power. You need to be baptized. It's very similar to Jesus' life. When Jesus was baptized, we have the depiction of the Trinity. The Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. And the Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness for what? To be tempted. And in Luke, it says, and he returned after he was tempted in the power of the Spirit. That's indicative that the Spirit of God was with him, but when he went through what he went through, he now had power like never before. Why? Because he had depended on the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was there, but there's a difference. You know, the Spirit of God is in our lives as believers. The day we receive Christ as our Lord, Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. But it doesn't mean he's controlling us. Because all of our lives in this life, this part of life, is meant for us to continue to turn areas of our life over to the Spirit of God. Well, how do we know if the Spirit of God has control in our lives? Well, how do you know anybody what they're like? What does the Bible say? You'll know them by what? Their fruit. And it's true about us. We'll know whether Holy Spirit is really in control. If we've given Him control, if He's the one guiding and governing and guarding us, because the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 will be evident in our lives. We'll be loving. We'll have joy. We'll have peace. We'll be patient and kind and gentle and generous. We'll have self-control. When our lives begin to reveal this, this is exactly what the Bible tells us, that we know the Bible tells us that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. But the Bible tells us it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. How are people going to know about the glory of God? They're going to see the glory of God in you and me because the Spirit of God is the one that is empowering us and imparting to us because it's, He's guiding us. This fruit is being developed in our lives. We're no longer what we used to be. We're what God has for us to be. Representing him that wherever we go, they see Christ. They're not going to call it what it is because they don't know. But they're just going to see a unique person in you where, man, you're loving and you're patient and you're kind and you're gentle. 
You have joy even in the worst situations. Your peace never is disturbed. And there's even the last fruit that's mentioned is self-control. You know, many times we have, well, I just can't, I can't do that. Well, that's not true. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. I need God. I need God's word. I need God's spirit. So that when it's all said and done, I'm not going to be tempted to take credit for it. And even if somebody else is tempted to say, man, you're amazing, I know who the amazing one is. That's the one that lives in us, the one that is greater than anyone that we'll face in the world. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The he that it's talking about is Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. But there's breath that God gives us in, in the Word. In the Word of God, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, in the message translation, it says this. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed. You want to be inspired? You want to be directed by God? Get in the Word. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed. There is Life in the Word. And useful in one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. This is what the Word is for. That's why the enemy works so hard to keep you and me so busy and so distracted that we don't get into the Word. Through the Word, we are what? Put together. You know, when we sang that song this morning, the last one, Graves into Gardens, it says, you came along and put me back together. That, that song is a song that just causes me to re be reminded of what my life was like when, when I didn't have God. And even when I had God, but I wasn't looking to him. I wasn't, wasn't surrendering myself to him. I wasn't dedicating myself to, to know him and to f love him and to follow him. Because my life was broken badly in this world. You know, the things that I was going after were, the th were my undoing. And, and they were taking me away from God and they were taking life away from me. One of them was alcohol. And I was losing the battle. And I realized I couldn't win this battle. This wasn't a battle I could win. I knew that there was only one that could win this battle because I, I couldn't control myself because I wasn't giving control to God. I was giving control to the alcohol. And I was about to lose everything, not just my health. And when I surrendered to God and said, God, I, I, I need you, God began to do something in my life because I was submitting myself to him. 
And just like James says, submit yourself to God and then, and only then can you resist the enemy and he'll flee. And I submitted myself to God, to his word, but also to some of God's people to be accountable, to, to have them there to walk with me through this. And, and that's, you know, it, none of us can do this alone. And we all, every one of us here, has things that we hope nobody else finds out about. Because we'd be embarrassed. We'd be afraid that people, if they found out about it, they would, they would turn away from us. But we're all the same. We all have stuff. We've been broken in this world. And God wants to put us back together. And that's what he does through his spirit and his word. And that's why it's such a battle for every one of us to make time to pray, to make time to read the Word, to make time to, to just praise God, to spend time with Him. Because that is where our freedom lies. And it goes on to say, and shape up. We are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Shaped up. Shaped up. What, what does that mean? If, if, if you have to shape up for a marathon, does that mean the day before you go out and buy some sneakers? What happens if you don't shape up for the marathon? You don't finish. You don't feel good somewhere along the line, and you just, even people that are in shape struggle. Shape up. God is shaping up the church, shaping up us for the tasks. Not one, the many. You have a calling. And it's a calling too big for you alone. And that's why if we look at our callings, look at what God's asking us to do, we get overwhelmed and we say, I can't do that, I quit. But it's not for you to do alone. There's somebody there to do it with you every step of the way. And he's never failed and he never will. You know, when I, I read this, I, I was reminded that when I had my motorcycle accident, I had to go into rehab and I had to uh, build my leg strength back up. I was pretty well broken up. And what I found was I needed to swim and I needed to, to bike ride. And as I was doing that, I began to become aware of this, this triathlons. And so I thought, that sounds great. I'm doing two of the three. All I have to do is run. And uh, I just determined I was going to, let's go for the gusto. Let's go for the gold. And I determined I wanted to do an Ironman. Now, if you're not familiar with that, uh, an Ironman is a swim of 2.4 miles, not where you can touch, and then a bike of 112 miles, and then a run of 26.2 miles, a marathon. And I just thought, you know, let's just start there. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I didn't know much about this stuff, and so I went to somebody I knew, knew a lot about it, Pastor Jeremy. 
He was involved with a group that would put on triathlons, and he's been and done an Ironman or two. And so I went to Pastor Jeremy, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing rehab, and I'm doing two of the three. I, I, I want to do an Ironman. And I've got to tell you, Pastor Jeremy was so good to me. He did not laugh out loud. I'm not sure if he turned away, but he didn't laugh out loud. And, and I, you know, I am ignorant, and I am seriously ignorant, and I want to do what I want to do, just like we want to do what we want to do. And he said to me, well, let's, let's, let's figure this out. And, and he said, well, how fast can you swim? And I told him how fast I was swimming at that point and how fast I could ride my bike. And, and he figured out how long it would take me to do the swim and the bike ride. I don't know if you know this or not, but it used to be the triathlons, they did the swim, the last leg. They found too many people getting near to drowning, so they turned it around and let them swim first. And so uh, we, we figured out how much time the triathlon, the Ironman has set aside for those that have to finish at a certain time. And he said, all right, if you swim at the rate you're swimming and you, you ride at the rate you're riding, you can almost walk the marathon. And I said, that's great. But I was having a hard time even walking at that point. And I was just, I wasn't even thinking right. And Pastor Jeremy was so good. He said, you know what, instead of starting with that, why don't you start with something a little smaller? He said, we're putting on a triathlon out at Lake Delta. Why don't you come out and, and, and see how that goes? And I said, yeah, that's great. So I signed up, got, got everything together that I needed, and went out and lined up with all these athletes. And they said, go. And they went. And I followed. And I got out of the water and I got to my bike and I rode. And this, 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 this wasn't much. You know, it was, it was fractions of what an Ironman is. I rode my bike and I was so proud. I had gone through the water. I had now done the bike. And I'm really pumped, thinking, I, I'm going to run this. I'm going to run this six miles. Having not run, because my body wasn't capable of doing it. And, and I'm still den in denial. And I start to run, and I realize very quickly, just steps into the run part of it, I'm not going to make this. And I'm saying, like we do to ourselves, because we're looking at us and not looking at something else. I can't do this. I'm not able. I'll never be able to do this. And this is looped through my mind. And about the time I'm ready to quit, ready to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. All of a sudden, on a bicycle, Pastor Jeremy comes up. And he rode his bicycle next to me, run walking, for the rest of the run until I crossed the finish line. And I didn't realize it at the time. But when I got done and got back and, and was able to sit down, I was very aware 
that I would not have finished unless he had been there. And he was saying all the way along, you can do this. Look, just make it to the, the, the trees up there. And I'd make it to the trees up there. And you just make it to the corner over there. And I didn't believe I could do it. But here's somebody who knows a lot more than me saying, you can do it. You can do it. Look. See, you just made that. Go to the next mark. You made that. You go to the next mark. We're going to make this. And when I sat there and went through this, I became very aware of God saying, that's what my spirit is there for. My spirit is the one that's taking every step with you. The one that is there to encourage you, that believes in you, that knows you better than you know you, that can impart to you encouragement and power to do this. You see, this is, this is the way God works. He never intended for you or me to do any of this on our own. Always in connection with Him. Always connected in a body because one of the other things that happened was people that were in that triathlon that were running much faster than me would see me and say, you can do it. You can do it. These people don't know me from anybody. And they believe in me. How can strangers believe in me when I don't believe in me? But I'm telling you, there are people that believe in you, and more than that, God believes in you. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. When God has something for you to do, you can do it with Him. And He'll bring people along beside you to do it. So with God, nothing is impossible. Now, I'm not saying you can do anything you want to do, but within the realm of what God has for you to do, you can do it. Even though everybody else says you can't do it, you've never been able to do it, you're not good enough, those are the dead bones. Those are the dead bones that are in all of our lives. Whether it's dead hopes and dreams, whether it's, and again, this is within the realm of if this is what God has for you. Some things need to die from our lives. There are some things that we just need to have die in our lives because they're not life-giving. And we think they are, and we're familiar with them, and we want them, but it's not what God wants. So let those things die, but also look at the things that have died and say, God, I'm giving you these things. You're the God of resurrection. You can make alive what everybody else has no hope in, but I'm putting my hope, my trust in you. Because with God, it is possible. In Ezekiel chapters 37, verse 7 and 8, I'm going to end with this. I know we've gone, but I, I just need to share this with you. So, He's told him to prophesy and told him what to say. And it says, even though he's prophesying to these bones, it makes no sense. But you know what? There was no discussion and there was no explanation. I want you to understand that you may not get the why. A lot of times we ask God, why? Why? 
God may not give you the why. He'll give you what you need. And he gave Ezekiel what he needed, the words he needed to speak. And what did Ezekiel do? He prophesied as he was commanded. He was obedient. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And so he prophesied as he was commanded. He began to speak the word of the Lord, what God had directed him to say to these bones scattered everywhere. No natural hope that anything would happen. But it doesn't matter because his hope wasn't in the bones. His hope was in God. And the Bible says when we misplace our hope, that we become heartsick. Hope deferred, misplaced, causes us to be heartsick. Some of us are heartsick here today. Some of you at home. Because you put your hope in these and these and those and those, and it hasn't been in God. Because if God wants it alive, nothing can keep it dead. And if God doesn't want it alive, nothing can raise it to life. And we don't want it. So he prophesied as I commanded, as I was commanded, as I prophesied. That's really important. As I prophesied. The moment he began to speak what God had for him to speak, things happened. Why? Because the Bible tells us God watches over his word to perform it. The moment you speak God's word, you release God to be able to work. When we speak faith, when we speak the word of God, God goes to work. When we speak doubt and unbelief, things that are not true, God can't work on the things that we speak that are not true. That's not his department. His department is truth. And so we need to be aware. Speak truth. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. I'm going to tell you something. There are suddenlies for all of us. Suddenlies that, that we're speaking God's word. We're speaking life to what looks dead. We're speaking life to things that are divided and, and destroyed. And God suddenly, suddenly, you know, sometimes we want to see things happen before they happen. We want to have an encouragement that this is going to happen. Listen, when the disciples saw Jesus crucified, they became distraught. But they should have just listened to what he had told them. He told them all in three days, I'm going to rise up. He gave them the words of life, and yet they looked at their circumstances. Folks, you're not going to be able to look at your circumstances and necessarily see everything God's doing. What God's doing is going to be like an uh, iceberg. You and I see just a very small portion, but God's doing massive things. You know, it, this is talking about raising the dead to life. When was the last time you saw anybody raised to life? Well, you may not have, but God's doing it. I was talking to a man when we were in Georgia who has been in meetings. This is a man that we support their ministry, has seen a number of people raised from the dead right before his eyes, laying hands on these people, and God is giving them life again. But that just means God loves Africa more than he loves America. Do you believe that? No. God's going to do it here. There is no limit to God except what we put on him. 
what he can do in and through our lives. And God wants the limits off. God wants us focused on him and available to him. Suddenly, a rattling, the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. I have to tell you, God, God, God doesn't want us stopping short. Wow, it looks good. Don't stop at what it looks like. Let God finish the work. And we're going to see how God did it and what ended up happening. Because we're in this environment. We see Ezekiel in this environment where there is just death. There is division. There is a scattering. There is no hope. And what God does with this is what God wants to do in your life and my life, in the church and in the world at this time. You are here. Not by accident. You're here for such a time as this. Because God is raising up a mighty army in these days. And you and I have the privilege to be a part of it. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God doesn't do this just haphazardly. Where God works is where he is invited to work. And if we haven't invited Christ to come into our life and be Lord of our life, he's not going to force himself on us. He'll try and do what he can in the narrow vein that, that is available to him. But he wants all of us so he can work in all the areas of our lives. And until we turn our life over to him, we're the ones responsible for our own life. But once we turn to him and trust in him and receive him as Lord, then we have to walk out what we have asked for, for him to be Lord, him to guide us and govern us and guard us, that we just don't do things on our own anymore. We're led by the Spirit. The Bible says that those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It's not a, a gender thing. Those that are led by the Spirit of God when it says sons of God, it means builders of the family name. You and I have the privilege of being co-laborers with Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus. Fulfilling the greatest plan that there has ever been created, God's plan. It's a plan of life. And if you're here today and you have never Never had the courage to trust God and say, God, I, 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 I've trusted so many people and they've, they've just not come through and I'm not sure I can trust you. But today you're willing to be courageous enough to turn to God and trust Him and recognize that we all have sinned, Romans said, and fallen short of the grace of God. But in today, as we pray, you will trust God and invite Christ to be Lord of your life, cleansing you from all sin and creating you as a new creation that he can work in and work through. I invite you to pray this prayer together here in person or online. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this world 
lived a sinless life, willingly went to the cross to die for my sins. Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I come to you in need of a Savior. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Cleanse me. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.